Let me invite you to remain standing as we prepare to hear God's Word. Today we are out of series as we are looking at a Thanksgiving text. And while uh, this passage in Deuteronomy 8 doesn't have the word Thanksgiving in it anywhere, um, you will find that the undercurrent of what's going on here is that God wants to grow His people in a thankfulness to Him, to him as He brings them into the promised land. So we're just going to jump right in and read this whole chapter from Deuteronomy chapter 8, uh, verses 1 all the way through 20. The whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that He might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep His commandments or not. And He humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor your fathers know, that He might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out on you, and your foot did not swell these forty years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you. So you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in His ways and by fearing Him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks, of water, of fountains and springs flowing out in the valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. And you shall eat and be full, and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land He has given you. Take care, lest you forget the Lord your God, by not keeping His commandments and His rules and His statutes, which I command you today, lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up, and you forget the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery." who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, that He might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. Beware, lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you power to get wealth, that He may confirm His covenant that He swore to your fathers as it is this day. And if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. Like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you, so shall you perish, because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I ask that you would help us to receive this, your word. It's both a comfort to us, and also a challenge. It's always a double-edged sword that pierces straight through the heart, Lord, not to harm us, but so that You might heal us, so that You might give us thankfulness in our hearts, so that we might be those people who praise Your holy name and receive and rest in Jesus alone. So we pray, Lord, help us to hear today for Your glory and for our good. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. So this summer, I was pickpocketed. 
I was pickpocketed. It was uh, um, an interesting thing that happened. We were nearing the end of our trip through Italy, and uh, we were in Rome about 24 hours to go, and we found ourselves in Roma, Termini on the subway. And Rome is unlike other big cities that, uh, with their subway systems. Rome only has two lines, and they go and only cross at one area, Roma, Termini. So every train in Rome is either going away from or into this central station. And so as you can guess, there are a mess of people there in that train station. There were seven of us in our party, three adults, four children, and uh, eight years and under. And so as the train was coming, Haley and I, so my wife and I were separated. I had Graham, five-year-old Elliot, and eight-year-old right in front of me, and there are people just all around me, and we are jostling to try to get into this subway that had just arrived at the station. And as we're trying to get these kids in, or as I by myself am trying to get these kids in, I've got my wallet in my front right pocket, knowing that there are pickpocketers, so smartly I took it out of my back pocket and moved it to my front. I felt something. I felt something. And I turned and I just, I let out like a hey or something like that. I don't even remember. It was one of those moments where everything is kind of happening so quick, so quickly, right? And, uh, and I was like, something just happened. I turn and I pat my front pocket to see if my wallet is still there. Not there. Gone. Gone. Okay. And so now the two kids are in front of me. I'm just, you know, your mind is racing. The doors are beeping like we're about to close and crush the people who are coming in behind you, right? All of that is happening. And then I feel like a tug at my shirt and someone saying, excuse me, excuse me. And I turn and there are like three people who are like carving out a space on the train and they're pointing down and my wallet is right there on the ground about this far away from the gap between the, per- the train and the station. And I'm so thankful, right? Just, just this burst of thankfulness as I turn and pick it up and I thank everyone around me and we're all talking about how many pickpockets there are. Be careful if you ever go to Rome, there are a ton of pickpockets. And I just, have you all ever felt that acute sense of thankfulness for something that happens? All day long, all day long, right? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I didn't want to face my last 24 hours in Rome thinking, okay, I got to cancel all my credit cards. I got to figure out how to get a new driver's license. You know, like, that's just no fun. Just thank you, Lord. We all have those moments, those experiences of acute thankfulness. The question that I have for us today is what about a chronic thankfulness? What about a chronic thankfulness? What about a thankfulness that's not just on the surface of our lives? Those things are good. But that is like a river flowing through our hearts of thankfulness to God. Maybe a good question to ask yourself is this, do I spend time counting my blessings or counting my burdens? Do I spend time counting my blessings or counting my burdens. A couple of years ago, two psychologists decided to put this question to the test. They took a group of people and they told them to record in their journal every night all of the good, positive things that had happened to them. Count your blessings. Record that in your journal. And they took another group and they didn't tell them to do that. They just let them record whatever it was in their journals. And so after a, a, number, a, a number of months, after a long a period of time, they interviewed these people. And what they found was those people who had kept a count of their blessings 
exercised more, had less physical ailments, were overall happier in their life, and had more hope for the future. Interesting. The people who had it had less in every single one of those categories. Now, I think we kind of get that, right? As Christians, that's scientific data that backs up something that we know implicitly. At the core of our hearts, we should be thankful to the Lord our God. I love what Rebecca McLaughlin says about this. She says, for the Christian, thankfulness is not just a positivity technique. It is a deep disposition toward a life-giving and life-saving God. And so that leaves us with a question. If I look and I find myself not with that deep disposition of thankfulness, how is it that I can grow in that? Lord, how do you grow in me a thankfulness to you because you are the life-giving and life-saving God? In our passage today, I think there's really two big themes that I want to pull out as we interrogate that question. Two ways. First, we grow in thankfulness as we follow God through the whole way or the whole journey of life in humility. We follow God through the whole way, the whole journey of life in humility. Second, we grow in thankfulness as God teaches us to obey the whole commandment of God, the whole commandment, okay? So, we see the whole way that God is, uh, is taking us through life, and as we obey the whole commandment of God, we will grow in thankfulness. So, let's just look at it. First, we grow in thankfulness as God calls us to follow Him the whole way, the whole journey in humility. Deuteronomy is written as the wandering years are coming to an end, right? And the people of God are about to cross from the wilderness into the promised land, the land flowing with milk and with honey. And now the people of God are looking back at all the things that they have learned. And look with me at verse 2. Moses says, remember, remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness that he might humble you. That word way, I've already kind of given it away, can also be translated like road or journey. So, think back on the journey. What was I doing in that journey? What am I doing in the story of your life? What I'm doing is I'm trying to humble you before me, humble you before me. If you've done any traveling at all, you know that God is working to humble you right? If you've done any traveling at all, especially this last summer, where pretty much every single flight was delayed, you know that God is at work to humble you. On that same trip as we were coming back from Rome, we landed in Newark about two hours late to our connecting flight, which guess what? Had a two-hour gap in our layover, right? So Haley and I were looking at each other and we're like, there is no way we're going to make the next flight. But you land and then, you know, you can like open up your phone and take it off airplane mode. And we look and we're like, oh, our flight is delayed. This is great. We might actually be able to make our connecting flight to Houston. And so then we proceed to sit on the tarmac for one and a half hours without finding a gate to actually park in. We're like, we're here. Just get us into a gate. 
course, we miss our next flight. And we weren't booked on the first flight in the morning. We were booked on the last flight in the evening, the 8 p.m. flight. So we had over a 24-hour layover in Newark. We could see New York City, but Newark is not as nice. (laughs) I'm sorry to anyone from New Jersey in the room. You know, it's not fun, frustrating, annoying. Now think about the people of God. The journey from Egypt to Canaan is about 11 days straight walk. 11 days. Imagine a layover in the wilderness for 39 years and 354 days. That's a pretty frustrating layover, isn't it? pretty frustrating layover. Not just that. It wasn't just expensive airport food that they had to buy and not so comfortable seats that they had to sit in. Verse 15 tells us the context of their sojourn. Terrors like fiery serpents and scorpions and no water and no food. Life is rarely a straight line to blessing. Life is rarely a straight line to blessing, isn't it? Like, we want to go from strength to strength in life. I want Redeemer to just go from strength to strength all the time. I want my own story just to be one series of successes to thankfulness and blessing. But it doesn't work that way. I especially want my kids to go from strength to strength in their life. But that doesn't happen. Why? Look at verse 2. That the Lord might humble you testing you to know what is in your heart, that the Lord might humble you, testing you to know what is in your heart. Now, does God need 40 years to figure out what's in our hearts? No, He doesn't need that testing. He knows what's in our hearts. Guess who needs about 40 years or more to figure out what's in our hearts? We do. We do. We need to know that in the depth of our heart, there is a twist a sinful twist in us that if left to itself would take every blessing, every strength, every good thing poured out from God and not see it as a blessing and not give thanks, but rather twist it into our deserving and never give thanks. That's what our hearts do with blessing, right? We kind of see it in two different ways in this passage. Look at verse 14. In the land, when your gold and your silver multiply and everything multiplies, watch out, lest your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God. What do we call someone who has been given everything they could ever need and never work for it? Oh, come on. Spoiled. Do we think that kind of maybe? Spoiled. That's what we call someone. A spoiled heart spoils God's blessings. Then we see it again, verses 17 and 18. Beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember that it is He who gives you power to get wealth. This is the person who dismisses God's blessings because they say, I have earned this. How do we miss God's blessings? We really believe that they're not blessings that we've earned this, that we deserve this. That's a huge enemy of thankfulness, isn't it? Just look at Americans writ large. 
Look at Americans writ large. We're the richest, the most powerful country the world has ever seen with a pretty good healthcare system to boot. In 2018, economist Jeffrey Sachs said this in the World Happiness Report. Since 1972, our income per capita has more than doubled, but our rate of happiness has remained roughly unchanged or even declined. And still in a survey of American freshmen in 2016, 82.3% answered that becoming well-off financially is an essential or very important life objective. But now, in the last three years, this country of wealth and prosperity and blessing, we've actually gone down in our life expectancy rates. 2.7 years. It's a precipitous drop, a huge drop. Why? Deaths of despair. Despair. In all the wealth, in all the blessing, in all the happiness that we should have, our life expectancy is going down because of despair. Even if there was a land flowing with milk and honey today, there is something in our hearts that would spoil it. That's what we do. But now let's apply this to ourselves. Do you ever get a glimpse of your heart? Do you ever really get that glimpse of your heart and see the desert waste in it? Like I look sometimes at the way I treat my wife or my kids, and I think, oh my goodness, if that kind of selfishness and privilege went unchecked for 40 years, what would I become? What would I become if that went unchecked for 40 years? You see, what our hearts do is they turn God's gifts and God's blessings based on our reception of them, either towards thankfulness or towards curses, or towards curses. Without humility, no matter what material, familial, or even spiritual blessing we receive, it will turn to curses and dust and ashes unless we're trained in humility. So, even though it's hard to say, praise God for the desert, right? When you're found in the desert place, we sang it today, even though it's hard to say, praise God for the desert. He doesn't do us or give us hardships just to expose us, but He also really wants to bless us, to do us good. Look at verse 3 and 16. I'm going to kind of mash them together. And He humbled you, and He let you hunger. And He fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, that He might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. To do you good in the end. How is God going to do you good in the wilderness? Well, He gives you manna. Now, manna is a hard thing, right? Because you can only collect enough manna for today. You can't store it up. I don't know if you remember the story, right? You can't just collect a bunch of it and store it up and invest it you know, and uh, hopefully the next day you'll have more bread and it'll, you know, exponentially grow. You can't do that with manna. It goes, uh, it gets worm-ridden after just one night, so you can only have enough for today. What is God doing? What is God doing? You ever gone through periods of your life where, like, I've just got enough strength for right now? I've just got enough strength for today. One step in front of the other. And God is saying, what I'm doing is I am helping you to trust me. Trust me. I will provide every day the strength that you need. 
See, God takes us through wilderness roads sometimes on this difficult journey so we can truly say with the proverb, trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding in all, in all your ways, in all your journeys. Acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. Thankfulness is first born through humbly following God all the way through the hardship, all the way through the hardship. Then there's another way. There's another way, not just the whole way, but God grows us in thankfulness as we receive the whole commandment, the whole commandment. Look at verse 1, the whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do. Again, in verse 11, take care lest you forget God by not keeping His commandments and His rules and His statutes. The crux is verse 5, know then in your heart, in your heart, that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord your God disciplines you, so you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in His ways and by fearing Him. Now, it's important to remember that that word discipline doesn't just have negative connotations. We often think about that just as rebuking or chastising, but it has a whole range of meanings which are operative here. To discipline means to train and to guide, to instruct, and yeah, sometimes also to rebuke. But we recognize that a good father trains and guides and instructs and also sometimes has to discipline his children. Let's think about this for a moment kind of putting these things together. In the book of Exodus, in the book of Exodus, the people of God are saved from slavery, then they're given God's commandments, and they obey out of the thankfulness in their hearts for what God has done for them. I mean, they just had been saved. They've been brought out of slavery. They should have a great thankfulness that then flows into obedience. And that's a really good way of thinking about our obedience, right? Like, you've probably heard preachers many times say, think about what Jesus has done for you, the salvation that He's given you, the forgiveness of sins, and be thankful and then obey, right? Out of thankfulness flows obedience. That's absolutely true. But it's not the only paradigm we're given. In fact, if you know your hearts at all, Like, if you know your hearts at all, sometimes you take that paradigm and this is what you implicitly think. Oh, well, I should obey God when I'm thankful, right? Now I get it. If I have the feeling of thankfulness, then that should issue in obedience. Deuteronomy is actually written at the end of the wilderness wandering at the end. So, there's a generation who don't remember what it was like to be slaves in Egypt. They have heard of the salvation. They know of the salvation, but there's a slightly different paradigm shift. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 20, it's in the same kind of discourse. When your son asks you in time to come, what are the meaning of these testimonies and statutes and rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Then you shall say to him, We were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out and commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always. Funny, the paradigm shifted in this case. Son, sometimes you just have to obey, and then you will learn more about the salvation that Jesus has given you, and you will grow in thankfulness to Him. Now look, salvation always comes first. It really does. 
But sometimes our thankfulness is there and then we obey. And sometimes we don't feel like it. Amen? Yeah. But we get this principle. We get it, don't we? A lot of times doing the right thing comes before feeling like doing the right thing. Is there anyone here when they were a kid really loved salad? Like really love it? No. Okay, you did? Really? That's fantastic. Like, no. But then we were told, hey, salad, it's good for you. And so we started eating it at some point in our lives, probably. And then over time, does anyone else here crave a salad every once in a while? Yeah. I mean, not a lot, but sometimes, (laughs) you know? And you know the same principle with like getting up to work out. Like, who was like, man, I just cannot wait to work out before you ever started a workout regime? None of us. But you did it. And then God created a desire, a longing, even enjoyment of working out. Guys, the principle is the same. Sometimes God just calls us to obey, to create in us a thankfulness. It's a good thing. That's good that God does that for us. So here's where the rubber meets the road for us. Do things of thankfulness before you even feel things of thankfulness. Engage your discipleship even when you don't feel like it. Let me give us four applications. These are going to be the hard ones, okay? Four applications that come straight from this text. Sabbath. Sabbath is one of them. A practice of discipleship that is good for us. It's good for us even if we don't feel it. You don't feel like you need to rest all the time, right? You just don't feel that. Rest not because you feel like you need to. Rest because it's good for you. Verse 17, beware lest you say in your heart, my power and my might have gotten me this wealth. When we Sabbath, we are engaging in a spiritual battle against consumerism and workaholism that says practically to God, I know it's you and not me who gives me every good thing. It's an obedience that creates in us something good, right? Two, give. Give. Give to God's kingdom. It's an extension of verse 17 and 18. He gives you the power to get wealth. What's the implication? Everything that you have is God's that He has given you. By its very definition, by its very definition, Don't tell me you have a thankful heart unless you engage in giving to God's kingdom. I don't, it doesn't matter what you feel. If you don't give to God's kingdom, then you really don't have a thankful heart because how could you withhold from Him who has given you everything? That's how it works. Third, worship. Look at verse 19. And if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you that you shall surely perish. We have to get in the habit of worshiping. We just got to get in the habit of it. Imagine I woke up this morning and was like, nah, (laughs) I'm not going to go today. That would not be good for the church, right? It would not be good for the church. This kind of 1.7 times a month... It really should be better. Why? Because when we don't worship God, we worship something else. We worship something else, our pillows. 
bedside Baptist pillow Presbyterian. Have you ever heard that? Our pillows, our leisure, our fun. It's not good for us. They're really, really bad gods. They promise joy in the short term, but only God can give us joy and thankfulness in the long run, in the end, right? That's what it says. To do you good in the end. Guys, I would rather God do me good in the end because the end lasts for eternity. Fourth, read the Bible. This is a classic sermon, right? Fourth, read the Bible. Look at the end of verse 3 and into verse 4. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing didn't wear out. Your foot didn't swell these 40 years. Notice what he's saying. When you train yourself to rely on God's Word, you'll have enough, right? Your clothing won't wear out and your foot won't swell. He's saying, look, isn't it amazing that in 40 years y'all didn't need to make clothing for yourselves and you didn't have these injuries of your feet, right? Like your foot didn't swell. When you rely and trust God, you'll have enough. Guess what happens when you don't rely on God? You'll never have enough. That's what happens. Look, thankfulness grows when we make a habit out of keeping the whole commandment of God. And if you find yourself now in that place of difficulty and dependence, just say, Lord, I know this is a good thing. Show me how you are turning this for my good. Show me how you're turning this for my good. See, God creates in us habits of obedience when life is hard so that when life is easy, we don't forget. Verses 11 through 14, take care lest you forget. When life is good and your business does well and your discretionary income is up and your leisure time, you've got more of it, and you get out of the habit of humble thankfulness to God. Okay, let's put this together. How do you know if you really are thankful? Not first and foremost by looking inside and asking the emotional or sentimental question, but rather looking at the habits of my heart and my life before God. That's how you know if you're thankful. That's how you know. True thankfulness is always expressed as we keep the whole commandment. Now, let me end with this. God is really not an arbitrary taskmaster. It's not like life is one big spiritual test for us. He delights to do us good. He loves to do us goodness and blessing. He showers us with kindness and grace. He really does. He really does. He delights to do all those things. Look at verse 1 again. There's this Bible refrain that we hear often about God, the covenant-keeping God, and this is what He says, I'm going to give you life, and I'm going to give you land, and I'm going to give you offspring. And every time we see that, it's like a reminder that God keeps His covenant. Life and offspring and land is coming to you. It's coming to you because I love you. And here again, the people are about to cross the Jordan. God is going to bring them into all of these covenant blessings, into a land flowing with milk and honey, a land of brooks and fountains and springs of wheat and barley and vines and figs and pomegranates and iron that you can just mine right out of a rock right there in front of you. And it reminds me of the magician's nephew, if you've read that. It's a good one where Aslan is creating the world and they go to Narnia and it is so fertile and beautiful that if you just drop a piece of iron from a lamppost, it grows into a lamppost. 
And if you drop a piece of gold on the ground, it grows into a gold tree. And that is the delight of God to bless His people. And we've got to believe that. But the point of this passage is to remind us that if our hearts are not trained in humble thankfulness, God could give us all of heaven and we would turn it into ashes and dust. It's true. In fact, that's part of the way that we hold out the goodness of God to our unbelieving friends. Is like, look, God desires to bless. And even if you saw every blessing, you wouldn't have it unless your heart was changed to thankfulness. Now, there is a man. This is where we get to Jesus. There is a man, a covenant-keeping man, son of God, and son of man who came, who came. And he didn't live in perfect Eden. He lived in the wilderness of this world, in a land subjugated by the Romans, in difficulty and hardship, bearing in himself the curse for all of our wrongdoing, the brokenness of this world. And he was driven by the Spirit at the beginning of his ministry, if you remember, into the wilderness where he fasted without food or drink for 40 days. And at the end of those 40 days, he was tempted by the tempter, to take a kingdom for himself and to make bread and to worship the accuser. And Jesus said, no, man does not live by bread alone, but what? Every word that comes from the mouth of God. It is supremely encouraging that Jesus was more thankful and humble before his God after 40 days of fasting than I am when I am full. And therein lies our hope. Therein lies our hope. Because of Jesus' thankful heart, who welcomes you, unites you with Himself, so you too, even though we are covenant breakers, are being brought into the very life of God so that every day you could learn with all the saints thankfulness and gratefulness all to the praise of God's glory. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for this, your word. We ask, Lord Jesus, help us to keep looking to you, the founder and perfecter of our faith, the one who has done for us what we couldn't do for ourselves, the one who loves us and unites us to yourself so that we could come into all of the blessings of God. Give us faith to believe it, that you are the one who makes all blessings flow. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.